Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hi, this is Angela Fay from Canada's podcast. I am very excited to be talking about food security here in Canada today. So um, we are talking to Sea to Sky Farms who are combining vertical vertical farming technology with limited natural resources to grow fresh, nutritious, reliable products for local markets across North America. The exciting thing is they use less water, less land, less labor, less energy, no pesticides or fertilizers, and they're committed to supplying sustainably grown produce and ensuring food security for all. So we are going to jump in And on today's podcast, we'll be talking about why enhancing local food security is so important, some of the solutions that landowners and land use policymakers should consider. We're going to jump in and specifically talk about vertical farming and what makes this a good solution. Does it make good social sense? Does it make good business sense? And then how to get started or where to turn for the next steps if you're serious about considering this solution. So let's bring to Canada's podcast the co-founders of Sea to Sky Farms, Daniel Cruz and Jay Kalu. Awesome. Welcome. Welcome to Canada's podcast. So just to get started, uh, could you please just introduce yourself to our audience? I'll start here. It's uh, Daniel Cruz, uh, one of the co-founders of Sea to Sky Farms. Um, You know, I'm a first generation Canadian, like so many of us. And I was born and raised in Vancouver and have uh, most recently um, moved up the uh, corridor to the Sea to Sky and uh, started Sea to Sky Farms. Awesome. Hi, I'm Jay Kalu. I am the CEO of Sea to Sky Farms and Vertical Choice. And uh, like Daniel, um, more or less BC bred, (laughs) um, but born overseas in uh, England. But... uh, from the age of five, I've been living in British Columbia and uh, had a, a strong passion for farming and uh, the produce industry and trying to move it forward. And that's where I partnered up with Daniel. Awesome. Well, and I'm a farmer's daughter from Southern Alberta as well, living out on the West Coast now. And I, of two, also share a passion for farming and, for, and innovations in farming. So, you know, we also experienced a number of disruptions in food security over the last few years between COVID and, you know, floods in the Fraser Valley. Uh, There's wars in the world that are affecting, you know, food security. So from your experience, you guys, why is enhancing food security, you know, at a local and particularly regional level, maybe national level, so important today? Uh, I can uh, start with that, I guess. <laughs> um, well, you know, we've seen over the years, uh, especially when COVID came around, um, how supply chain is so vulnerable to any kind of, you know, whether it's a illness like, or a disease that goes through like COVID, or it's something that is in the fields uh in California or some other growing regions or Arizona is that the supply coming in gets low. The price goes up, mm-hmm. right? So it, there's so many factors involved that tend to increase the price of our imported produce um, out of 
the U.S., out of Mexico. And a lot of it has to do with labor, logistics. And so in order to make sure that we have a secure um, food supply in Canada, we've got to start growing produce in a year-round basis here locally within our communities. And the best way to do that is through vertical farming. Um, not biased by it. I've tried everything conventional, greenhouse, and vertical. And it's been proven through experience on our end that we're able to provide and grow uh, a better product on a year-round basis to supply communities in which we have farms currently in BC and Alberta. And you bring up an interesting point, and I'm going to touch on that later as far as actual where farms currently are and land use and things like that. Um, Daniel, can you add to that, like why local food security is so important today? Yeah, of course. So, you know, a little bit more about my background. Um, you know, I come from the capital markets world, um, you know, went to college studying economics and uh, was was lucky enough to start at Canaccord. Uh, genuity in, in Vancouver. Uh, and my whole career has been really looking at startups and trying to finance, you know, entrepreneurs and, and really looking for that new market opportunity. And essentially exactly what Jay said during COVID, um, you know, people might not uh, love this analogy, but I'm going to bring up toilet paper. You know, that was something that was kind of laughed about. And uh, it was a running joke all over social media. But you just realized some of the most common goods were, were difficult to get. Um, so when I started looking into the statistics about uh, produce and food waste in Canada, two huge stats stuck out to me. The biggest one is about half of food in Canada is wasted. And wow. there's a variety of reasons that Jay would know all about long chain logistics, trucking, spoilage, all of these sort of things. And coming from my background in economics and researching um, trends and disruptions, I said, what business has half spoilage? And, and how is this a secure food system in Canada? Hmm. The second big point that Jay has helped me understand is in British Columbia, I'll say as high as 90% of the produce is imported into our province. And when we saw the borders being shut for COVID, I mean, it was to me as clear as day that there was a major problem with our food systems. And, you know, I, like so many people, just kind of drove out of the city into farmland up in uh, Squamish Valley and said, we need to learn about technology and food security because, um, you know, God forbid there's never another pandemic, but uh, it just brought to light all the real issues with food security and logistics. So interesting because, of course, I naturally defaulted to, you know, the, the, you know, the biggest problem being production. But in actual fact, we're we're talking waste is is another major issue related to food security um, in getting it here. So uh, talk to me a little bit about and you've touched on it, but if we can, you know, the there's the landowners and the land use policy makers, right? The people who are 
making decisions on whether or not something is zoned properly or the land use policy um, attributed to particular land is okay for agriculture and is a traditional agriculture, which is, you know, seeds in the ground versus, you know, vertical farming. Can you talk about generally before we get specific into vertical farming, what are some of the solutions that have been, that have come up that we've experimented with, you know, as far as yields and, and results that, you know, if we could talk a little bit about the broad solutions, what else, what's been tried? Here in, and I guess I'm talking specifically in Canada. Yeah, um, I'll start first and I'll, I'll let Jay uh, get into this because he has a very long history in produce and he has been you know, critical to major companies in Canada um, and the food chain, just moving food in between of you know, America and Canada. Um, so, I mean, just speaking from um, the little I know about my, my farming history, which is, which is fresh, you know, climate change is is something we, we we don't really want to talk about. And you know, in Canada, we have very harsh territory. But generally speaking, nature has given us seasons, mm-hmm. and you know, sunlight obviously in the summer, phasing into the fall, obviously dark winters. Um, you know, field lettuce is is a difficult <laughs> challenge to say the least for for I think Canada. You know, Jay touched on this earlier, California, obviously being a beacon of, of field lettuce. Um, you know, I won't get into that. I'll let Jay talk about the differences of, of the issues of field lettuce. Um, greenhouses. I think Canada has a great greenhouse system. Um, you know, they're, they're successful greenhouse businesses and they're great. But once again, they're, they're limited to the amount of light that comes into them. And um, it's very hard to control the, the climate of um, a greenhouse and lettuce from what I know from some of our master growers is, um, it can't fluctuate too much on on the temperature. So there's a huge cost associated with how do you control that temperature Mm -hmm. and not have huge heating bills and such. So, um, the best thing about British Columbia is we have renewable energy. We have clean energy and, um, you know, our, our project in, in, in Squamish that we're developing will have renewable energy and um, combining that with technology and vertical farming, climate change is, is always an issue, but um, you get to control your environment. And vertical farming is a term that everyone talks about. But I think as Jay gets a little bit more technical, controlled environment agriculture is really what we're talking about here. It's how do we use technology to give plants the best environment to grow the best product? Um, you know, sands, GMO and, and, and pesticides and such. So um, that, that's a little bit of what I've seen about the three core, you know, ways to grow food. And I obviously believe that controlled environment agriculture is the future and we all have to get on board. Yeah. Well, Jay. yeah. Uh, further than what Daniel said, um, yeah, there's a big part of it is the energy portion of it. Um, supply chain distance right labor right yeah touch on that. generational things change you know people that you know worked in the fields their grandkids don't want to work in the fields right. harvesting lettuce right it's you know i can make 
15 bucks an hour, 17 bucks an hour at McDonald's, or I can sit there in the fields. And this is the same system or the same philosophy, which takes place in California, right? So same thing down there. People are aging out of that occupation and new generations are not getting into it, whether they're just field workers or they're farm owners, right? The, the new generation wants to do something that's more sexy than, you know, shoveling dirt. And so they're all looking at, okay, which is the best way to move forward in this environment, given that we have labor issues, you know, in the field of 40 acres, you're going to need about 25 to 30 employees to harvest crops. And when you're looking at CEA, that number drops drastically. And sorry, what's CEA? Controlled environment. Environment. Okay. Yep. See, of course. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) No, it's all good. So for instance, you know, like in one of our farms, we harvest an acre at a time out of a vertical container. And that facility only requires four people to run it. Wow. So very you, cool. Yeah. Right. It's it's a lot less labor intensive. Yeah. So you, you know, you don't have to rely on a big workforce in the area, right? Which is a great thing. Um, and then we look, start looking into what happens in Canada, right? So every fall or winter, you know, our romaine lettuce, for instance, is coming out of California. Um, the CFIA puts implementations to restrict field grown lettuce out of certain counties out of the US, out of California. And so what happens is that cost of that romaine um, for the past two years, we've seen it well over $100 a case for 24 heads of romaine Hmm. landed into Vancouver on the West Coast and into Alberta. The product goes well above $100 a case. And what we can do with CEA or vertical farming is our costs are pretty constant. We know what they are, right? You have your your fixed costs, you have variable costs, but even your variable costs are pretty much set. So what you're able to do is provide a fixed cost product out the market, right? Okay, right. Right, so as opposed to US, you know, product coming in fluctuating based on transportation costs, which fluctuate based on supply and demand of trucks and containers. Supply and demand out of the U.S. And the funny part is when you're buying produce out of California. So quickly, I'll divert to a little background on myself, so you know why I'm talking about this. Is mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I I was a farmer grower, uh, and then also a distributor. So I worked for um, a large North American food distribution company, um, overseeing the produce category to uh, for produce brought into BC and. That's where you know a lot of this experience and information is coming from, and that was the reason we decided to get into the vertical farming space. Was seeing you know this habitual you know year to year to year to year increase in prices and decrease in the quality of product. Right. So produce, unlike other things, when you're paying a high dollar. The quality is probably the poorest it's going to be, right? Because <laughs> it's supply and demand, right? And that's where with uh, vertical farming, what we're able to do is it's a consistent product, it, right? 
You can control the environment it grows in. You can control, you know, the logistics to get it to market to the distributors, whether it's retail or food service distributors, because we try to keep within a four-hour distribution window. So to limit the transportation costs or carbon footprint of the trucks as well. And so we've definitely jumped into, you know, why vertical farming is a a good solution, right? We've talked about costs. We've talked about addressing cultural shifts and expectations of the labor force and, um, and being able to, I'm not going to say price fix because that has a negative connotation, but be more, you know, strategic on exactly knowing what what price things are going to come out the door as opposed to too many external variables. So if nothing else, those are fantastic reasons and solutions. I I want to bring up, some of our listeners might have listened to another podcast I did with uh, some independent freight farmers who are their small containers. You guys are big. So just Comparing those two solutions and their motivation for, you know, starting a micro freight farm was um, health. They it's it's a little bit of a um, it's a little bit of a tearjerker motivation, but their son died from, you know, uh, pesticides that were on leafy greens. And they said, this is not okay. So can you talk, can we talk about the health and well-being of our, of our people around, you know, specifically vertical farms and the produce that's coming out of it? Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to take it a little bit back to the, to the zoning um, question that I I somewhat overlooked a little bit, because I think it ties right into your, you know, the community and the land. Um, So you know, land costs is so expensive uh, in, in British Columbia in particular, and so restrictive um, for building and such. Um, I think the ALR land designation in itself is a way for people to connect with the land and, and with the community. And, yeah, and just clarifying, ALR is Agricultural Land Reserve, just for people not familiar with the acronym. Keep going. Sorry, Daniel. Yeah. And um you know, one thing when we were designing the, the foundation and such for the building, going through the permitting process, I was I was surprised how um, much they looked into the soil and, and really the soil that um, came into the land all had to be sort of approved. And I'm just talking the soil because, you know, earth is soil. And I think nu- nutritious food and nutrients are, are things that, you know, bring health. And, you know, I don't want to start a war with all the pesticide people and, and, and GMO people because that, that has a, a place. But I think it's so important for people to connect to the land. And I think the ALR designation and the Canadian government's protective nature of the land is super important. Um, but I'm just going to add a little bit more on the labor side and for the youth. I think what Jay touched on earlier is very important. And, you know, you, Angela, coming from a farming background, people need to connect to the land and the youth needs to learn about being in the land. And it can't be this old school concept that, you know, picking shovels on the beating sun for 17 hours a day. 
you know, picking crops. Yes. I think we have to look for uh, technology and we have to encourage nutritious food eating. And I believe it can help lots of medical ailments. I'm obviously not a doctor, um, but yeah, I just wanted to tie back the land and zoning and labor and jobs. I mean, people are coming up to Squamish and Whistler partially because it's beautiful, but also for a lifestyle, right? People are having this post COVID, you know, I want to touch the dirt. So I want to get my hands dirty. Mm-hmm. So I think CEA is, is so important to that. And, um, you know, I think it can really bring health benefits and, and Jay is in much better shape than I am. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let him talk about some of the nutritious side of, of the food and how it can, um, really, really bring more health to humanity because our soil is not nutritious anymore. Soil degradation is a major problem. And obviously us doing hydroponics, you know, we're not using soil, but, um, yeah, in a roundabout way that that's just me talking about the land and how important it is to be connected to the land and how nutritious and healthy the product we're bringing, which is all driven by health and, and trying to get people on that path. So if, if we look at the, the freight farms, right, and what, you know, smaller scale people trying to do in their communities or for their families, um, yeah, you know, there's been E. coli outbreaks, you know, and spinach, and which have caused deaths. Exactly. Pesticides. So these environments close the so CEA Control Environment Agriculture. Um, it allows us to grow without pesticides, um, not having to worry about E. coli and all these other diseases which can happen in the fields, right? Um, I always use the scenario, you know, if you have an organic farmer and you have a conventional farmer down the road, you know. Yay, the, the field's organic, but a lot of times that, you know, the conventional farmer spraying his crops and, you know, you're not supposed to spray when the wind is at a certain, you know, speed. However, you know, a farmer's going to do it based on what his crop needs. Right? And so, you know, he, yes, organic farming used to be a great solution probably 20 some odd years ago. Um, I was around, now we're aging ourselves, <laughs> when it was starting to actually get going here in BC, right? We were looking at um, uh, in the States, uh, in Oregon, Oregon Tilth, and what they were doing to grow more nutritious product without the use of pesticides. We looked at California, which had uh, a used to be called the CCOF at that time, for, uh, California Certification of Food. Um, in Oregon, it was Oregon Tilth. And these organizations were helping people, you know, set guidelines to grow without having to use pesticides and other things that may be detrimental to someone's health. And now we've come to vertical farming where this is the entire system, right? It's benefit, it exceeds the benefit of, you know, the field because, you know, one of the, I'll back up a second. One of the challenges that we have with vertical farming, though, is we can't be certified organic in Canada because we don't grow in dirt. Right. But it is, okay. even though it's a cleaner product, <clears throat> because in a field you could have it could be organic, but you can have bird droppings, you could have animals that are you know walking through do their business, but you're eating organic lettuce. 
Is there a way, pardon me, I'm just jumping to the consumer perspective. You know, we were, we were sold or branded this idea that organic's better um, to help us make consumer choices. What, is there anything that can be done from a educating the consumer point of view, as far as, you know, being aware that they're eating um, CEA, right? Controlled agriculture, environment, agriculture uh, products that maybe even a higher higher, you know, nutrition rate and impact rate, sustainability, sustainable impact production. What, what, what solutions are either happening or can you imagine happening to help the consumer? So what we've been doing is we've been kind of promoting the term grown clean um, for now. And, and, And it's difficult to do, especially, you know, educating the consumers because we're still very, very, you know, in infant stages, we're small you've got to create an organization where you can bring all these vertical farms together. And then as a group, you know, push the grown clean as opposed to organic. But, you know, I'm pretty sure that the Canadian Food Inspection Agency um, will make some kind of decision around it um, because in the U.S., uh, vertical farming is certified organic now. It didn't used Uh to be, but about a year and a half ago, they made the change down there so i'm pretty sure eventually we'll see the change happen up here where you know be, because we're not growing in dirt doesn't mean that the product is not organic and then we're hoping that the government will see that you know what this mm-hmm. is actually a cleaner product than actual field growing organic so you know it's time to make that change and right and- jay you touched on the you know, coming together of vertical farmers as a collective is, is, is there a movement towards that happening here in Canada? Is it kind of organically or so, top down happening? No, not, not really. There is one uh, more of a global group, right. Okay. Which, you know, they do uh, kind of started during COVID. So um, all the summits were held online. So okay. you could participate with, so they'd bring all the vertical farmers from, you know, out of Europe, U S Canada, anywhere around the world, would all come together once a year and you know you join chat rooms to discuss we'd have different topics whether it was nutrition whether it was how do you you know what are you doing for technology um how to get your product to market right so they they're they are starting to work together um mm-hmm. and you kind of have to for an industry like this mm-hmm. if it's you know just starting off you want to be able to to get as much voice as you possibly can and the best way to do that is as a collective Right. Well, and I, I just want to bring that up as a bit of a point of differentiation about um, see the sky and just to your guys' horn for you is is you are are both growers, primary growers, but you're also consultants in the field, right? As far as helping yeah. people with um, you know working with locations and farmers on developing your own vertical farm, supporting them with farming, sales, distribution, business growth, consulting. Um, and there's not a lot of people doing both. Could, do you want to just touch on how that differentiates you and compared to others? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, jump, I'll jump first because we're, we're such an interesting case study. You know, um, you know, again, I'm coming from the entrepreneur background. Um, you wanted to be in this food security uh, world was learning so much about nutrition and um, the travel time for food. It loses a lot of nutrients, 
And um, I was looking out there, you know, there's got to be someone out there that can help kind of bring this vision together. And again, me coming from an entrepreneur and, um, you know, being a farm owner and, and wanting to launch this company, I meet Jay. Um, I don't know if you can see the halo above him, <laughs> but um, I see it. Yeah. But yeah, he, he had this company that he co-founded, Vertical Choice, which was kind of an all-in-one solution for independent farmers to come to him and say, you know, I have this dream. I, I want to launch a product and I want to get it in grocery stores, but I don't know about labeling and I, I don't know about logistics and I don't know about this and this and this. So Jay has a fabulous shirt, um, Neighborhood, which is um, the brand um, that he created and, and, and put together with his team. There is a team. There's, there's more than two of us. Um, but yeah, I'll let Jay talk about vertical choice and neighborhood, um, which is kind of the, the, the merged co of us, uh, being able to offer consulting uh, as you touched on Angela. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, because my background in the space, I would be contacted by numerous people to kind of help take product to market or help with their farming operational side. And so with Vertical Choice, um, we, we provided um, growing support, operational support, and sales support for the farms. Because um, a lot of these guys, they got into it. And this is where, you know, some of these businesses start to struggle is, um, you know, crop selection. So you got to select the crop based on your market. So you got to do a market analysis to find out, okay, hey, listen, what is the ideal crops for this market and what are the viable crops that you can grow with the technology you're looking at and then a lot of uh of them as well you know they had big investment funds behind them and stuff and the problem with that becomes is that's great you've got that money behind you to, to grow but at the leadership up there you don't have anybody who knows how to grow you don't have anybody to help with the sales of the product, right? And that's where Cetus Guy and Vertical Choice kind of came together was, you know, to help expand what we were doing um, on a larger scale, right? Okay. And so in planning the farm uh, I, up in I, Columbia, yeah. I love it. I, I want to bring up that on a larger scale just to challenge us. So I asked... Um, I asked kind of, you know, what's your objective over the next little bit? And if if I can share what you shared is <clears throat> reduce the import of lettuce by 10% over the next three years, right? By producing local greens in Canada. How do we blow that up? How do we get exponential on that? I mean, that's, you know, 10% is a nice little linear number and I'm sure it's doable and we can make that, you know, we can do that measurably and probably reasonably easily how do we blow that up and go you know what let's and i don't know I, i'm just spitballing and stuff how do we get to you know 50 percent food secure in canada across the board any ideas daniel you want to take this one first yeah i mean i'll start first i mean you know canada's is a, is a great nation right you know I, I talked about being first generation both my parents were um uh immigrants um, from different continents uh, coming here, and they came here because they believed, you know, there was there's a better way to to live, and uh, the government and our society, you know, launched uh, you know immigration to the to the forefront. 
we're, we're a place of, of lot of, a lot of people. So, I mean, we need help from the government. I mean, um, you know, there's some very powerful government agencies that have been supporting farmers. Um, I don't know for how long, but for a very long time. And they have the knowledge of the farm business. You know, I'm coming from the capital markets, right. you know, maybe the stock market, if people don't make that official connection. And, and Bay Street and uh, Wall Street was a little bit distracted over the last few years with another crop, which I, I don't think we need, need to talk about. But yeah. so much money and so many resources went into this recreational crop, which I have no problem with. And, you know, what people do with their own time is, is good. And of course, it's all legal now. But I think if the government and Bay Street and Wall Street and Vancouver and Saskatchewan thought, wait a second, if we could get 50% food security, that's a lot more jobs and a lot more prosperity for our country. And of course, America's amazing and they're benefiting from us, you know, not being entrepreneur enough. But 100%, we need the government. I mean, the, the government grants. Um, there's been some high level political, you know, talk about food security, and it goes down a huge rabbit hole all, all the way down to the food banks, um, you know, which which we've supported um, in uh, the Edmonton area uh, in Alberta from one of our farms. So need the government. We need these municipal uh, policymakers. Um, I'm very uh, new to the political um, realm. And there's bylaws, there, there's lots of rules. Um, we went through the permitting process to get our vertical farm building uh, authorized on ALR land. Uh, it, was, it was done and there was a big um, announcement, I think in February, 2022, with the premier encouraging ALR landowners to, to bring technology to the land. So obviously we can't do this without um, you know, those bodies kind of allowing farmers to do it. And then, um, you know, the, the consumer out there, um, we got to educate people that, mm -hmm. I mean, by BC is a great program. Um, you know, that that's a program that kind of tells people, Hey, we got food in the Okanagan buy your peaches there. Um, but yeah, we really need to kind of align all the parties of society in Canada here to just kind of root us on a bit. Um, yeah. because there's no reason why we can't get to that magical 50% number, Angela, which, um, awesome. Jay, how do we blow it up? How do we, how do we go from 10% lettuce to 50% food security? <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, it's expanding what Daniel had to say that like, we need that to happen first so that we can grow at a larger pace okay. and grow at a large scale, like putting up a facility, permitting processes, all that takes so long. And that's what holds up a lot of the growth. Mm -hmm. Like, when it's on demand for locally grown produce is exponential. Like we have, we meet with like restaurant chains that are across Canada and they all want, and retailers as well, they all want local supply all year, you know? And so we're trying to build that program and we're in the infant stages mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. building that program. But yes, to be able to, to grow at the scale that we need, we do need help from the government when it comes to, you know, uh, grants, um, expediting the permitting processes for buildings, right? 
Yeah. And then and, and <clears throat> it's a matter of putting technology into these buildings to support whatever crops that we feel feel are fit for that for that marketplace. And what do you think? Like I just red tape reduction is been one of my sort of bandwagons for a long time. I used to sit on the small business roundtable here in British Columbia. And, and that was kind of, you know, reducing red tape to allow ideas and innovation to happen was really the kind of my personal agenda for being there. What comes first? Like, I, I know you guys have done a lot of work. You've done the experiment. Do we need to prove results? How do we get buy-in from uh, land policy advisors or municipalities, does it start there or does it start with the, the farmers? Does it start with the consumer? And I understand that all three kind of have to happen in parallel, but it's not enough at this point to just talk about it. Like what, what can we do collectively, right? To get a shared vision of, you know, exponential growth in food security. Well, I mean, Angela, you, you may be leading the charge here. I think, um, I mean, we, we got to get out there and, and tell the story. I mean, when I think about uh, investment banking and, and the capital markets, you know, there's, there's this coming together for a goal, which is obviously usually a financial number, but it's everyone has the roles, right? Legal has a role. You know, the accounting companies have a role. Government has a role in food security. It has to be um, part of that role in food security. But um, I mean, the, the media networks, I think, um, you know, again, there was so much um, publicity about another crop um, that came across Canada and this legalization. And that was that was the shiny object, as they say. It, it just captured the minds and, and the, the purse strings of, of people all across uh, Canada and partially North America. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a team effort. And Angela, you're, you're a champion here um, talking to people about food security, health. There's they're really intimate stories about, you know, people just picking mushrooms from their land and putting it in a salad. You know, it, it starts with that basic exactly. concept. Um, so, yeah, I mean, community building, communication, um, you know, social media. I mean, we just got to chip away at this. Absolutely. Well, and I'm glad to be playing a part and sharing your guys' story. I want to ask the question now, if you are serious about considering vertical farming and hydro, you know, sorry, I'm controlled environment yeah. agriculture as a solution in your community, what's the next step? How do we, how do we, how can we engage with Sea to Sky? Well, I mean, obviously we're, we're open for business as they say. So, um, you know, I'm a, you know, person of the community, as they say, I, I'm, I'm happy to speak to any entrepreneurs um, and such, uh, but yeah, go, go to our website. Um, I think seaskyfarms.com is a, uh, is a good central focus um, for people to kind of poke around and learn and then, you know, go in your own rabbit hole on the internet and, you know, do your own research, of course. Um, there's other companies out there, um, you know, when it comes to uh, people who are um, committed and have a farm and want to get their produce out, obviously Jay and, you know, our brand neighborhood is, is open for business, but yeah, start with the website and, um, you know, get on there and start watching some videos, watch Canada's uh, podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, 
Jay, can you elaborate a little bit more on neighborhood? Because we we skipped past it. I do want to come back to it. Can you share a little bit what that is? Sure. Um, Yeah. So when it comes to distribution on a national level um, in the retailer food service uh, space is they want to see a a national brand. And so what we decided was, you know, with our farm and other farms in different regions to better quicker, well, let me phrase it better, (laughs) to grow that business nationally faster. Um, we created the brand so that farmers that we are um, helping in the East can also be under our banner, right? So it provides a, so when it comes to marketing, education um, on our website, it kind of just makes everything self-explanatory across the board. So there's a brand, okay, it's trusted in BC, right? We know how the product is grown. We know the crops they grow. And so it's the same consistency across Canada. So they know that, okay, they control their sizing, their weights. So I know that if I'm buying a case of this in BC, if I buy a case of that in Ontario, it's going to be the exact same thing, right? So it's for consistency, right? And that's what people want to see. Okay. And that brand, is it a licensing process? Like if you're yeah, a farmer? So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, yeah. It's, uh, it's under vertical choice, right? Okay. So we, everything that we sell goes through vertical choice. Um, even those farmers that uh, we help with their, their growing and their sales. So everything that goes out of their farms goes out under our brand neighborhood. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, and just tying in some of the different conversations that we've even had bring some pieces on. We we did an interview, Panda's podcast interview about Vancouver Island or Island Good. Same idea. It's a, it's a regional licensing program that is monitored by the Vancouver Island Economic Alliance about products that are produced on Vancouver Island. But yours is now a national sort of, you yes. know, it, it it's a bigger, bigger brand, more. So Canadians as con- Canadian consumers, if you're committed, you could look out for for products that have the neighborhood brand attached. Yeah. And a quick plug, we actually just had our first farm open up uh, in the U.S. Um, that's uh, going to be under neighborhood as well. Um, just opened June 14th. Okay. Well, and we're friends outside with our of, good neighbors. Outside of Chicago. <laughs> and and I was going to say, I was going to say, it's almost like amazing to say, but yeah, I mean, our lettuce will be at grocery stores uh, near you here in, uh, in British Columbia. So Obviously, if uh, you're looking at those labels, um, you can grab yourself a beautiful butter lettuce uh, head at the grocery store. Yeah. When we, when we talk about nutrition, yeah. So everything that we sell, majority of the products that we sell into retail and food service, all come with the root ball attached. So as opposed to field-grown lettuce where it's cut and its shelf life is deteriorating, its nutritional value is deteriorating, you maintain 100% nutritional value until you take it home and cut that root ball off yourself to prepare your salad, right? Very cool. Very less. So I think if we leave this um, podcast, we've started this, not started your story. You're, you're well and truly launched. You've got your, your own farms. um, And by the way, you've got Squamish, but you also have one in Alberta. Is that right? Correct. And then, Jay and the Vertical Choice brand represent other farmers, as you touched on in the USA. And exactly. Such, yeah. So there's that you've got your own farms. Um, and from what I understand is you can partner with and perhaps even buy or invest in, in farms to get them the actual your own locations launched. 
but you also work with farmers that want to, you know, produce, diversify, grow. So that's why you need to talk to uh, the team at Sea to Sky and Jay. And then, boom, we're all going to come out and say, listen, the big goal is 50% food security in Canada. Uh, I'm not going to put it at a specific time frame, but I can help with that, share more stories. If you wow. are in the space and you want to commit, great. If there is no umbrella organization committed to that cause, maybe that's something that we collectively get off the ground, right? And just go, boom, how do we do this? A little innovation hub around that topic. Yeah, no, that that is awesome. I mean, we're talking about lettuce here, right? Like <laughs> I'm staying on the cutting edge of all technology and controlled environment agriculture, but there's some wild ambitions coming up for different crops, right? This is a very early stage and yes. you know we're obviously focusing and our investors and shareholders like to hear that and yeah we're looking at one category but this is a massive opportunity to get into all sorts of crops and wow to to have that mission yeah and and, and let's them. keep the land ownership with the land owners instead of selling out to a few top level billionaires shall we like like let's keep that happening here in Canada. And uh, there's a lot of, like you said, next generation, I'm one of them. And I just went to a market the other day of um, some farmers in Saskatchewan that were third generation farmers again, and they are growing peas, but they're doing all the value added products, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's not just peas, but it's now they're producing some new products that are quite innovative and still getting the nutrition, but it's not necessarily traditional food as we would have expected in the past. And all of these things are coming from that next generation. And I think it's an amazing opportunity to change our sort of look and feel and approach on food. Hopefully this will stimulate a little bit of, you know, fire under the belts of those municipalities that will commit commit to food security, not just talk about it because the commitment level happens with red tape reduction and maybe creating food security innovation zones, things like that. Um, we've got some, we've got some great ideas. It's just a matter of people saying, picking up the phone and calling any of us to take the next step. So a big shout out to Adam who brought us together as well, uh, connected us. I'm excited. I've my next trip to Squamish. I'm going to have to come visit get a real life experience on, uh, on the farm. And uh, yeah, any, any last comments to share that we haven't touched on or that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I said lettuce, but I also must add microgreens. Um, when you, when you talk to nutritional value, uh, those, those little guys are um, really uh, nutritious. And uh, Jay has been uh, a champion once again, uh, to educate the grocery store chains and the food system delivery food service people that um, there's a way to get local microgreens uh, because they have a very short shelf life. Got it. Um, so that's another product. Lettuce, microgreens. Um, those are two core products that we encourage everyone to uh, nibble on and uh, get their nutrition. Jay? Yeah. Um, like Angela, you're saying, you know, let's get to 50% reduction in the ex importation of uh u.s lettuce and microgreens um yeah we need a lot of people to do that so you know this isn't a competition everything's always competition but it's not really a competition because we you know we all got to work together 
to be able to do that on a faster scale. I I think this is about the most healthy competition conversation that I've probably ever been part of. Right. right? (laughs) Exactly. Let's get our food secure here. And, you know, and listen, I competition is is just one possibility of how to actually fast track this, you know, nothing like getting a good old little X prize or something where we, we fund (laughs) solutions or something similar at a national level. The lettuce awards, Jay, is there any uh, lettuce awards out there that we can do a (laughs) a stage and have everyone come up with their different types of lettuce? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. It's not (laughs) a bad idea. Well, we're full of ideas. It's really about the implementation. And if any of these ideas uh, or implementation solutions uh, tweaked and you got excited about them, please reach out. Uh, Daniel and Jay are happy to receive your calls. I'm happy to also continue the conversation on food security in Canada. Thanks for listening to Canada's podcast. We are very excited to have you listen and hopefully be part of the solution here uh, in advancing food security in Canada.